morning and welcome to Father's Day Donut Day. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? Hey, I am not Daniel, obviously. Daniel's taking a little time. I'm Daniel's dad. And uh, so looking forward to being with you today and sharing with you what I sense God's laid on my heart. You know, there are a lot of factors about our Christian life. There's the theology factor and Bible knowledge. There's uh, evangelism, telling people about Jesus. There's doing good deeds. There's you know, uh, staying pure. There are lots of different factors. One of them we don't hardly ever look at is our emotional health as a Christian. In fact, when you say an emotional, healthy Christian, sometimes it sounds, is that an oxymoron or what? Are you an emotionally healthy Christian? Probably you haven't given that a whole lot of thought. But we're going to look today under the hood. Uh, in our Christian life, at this factor of emotional health. And uh, it's, you know that uh, check engine light that's been on for a while? Maybe we're going to get to that today. I first uh, uh, became really aware of this, a book that I read years ago called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. <clears throat> uh, this guy was a, is a pastor on the East Coast, very successful, large church doing very, very well, but several years ago, uh, his wife came in one night and told him this, Pete, I'd rather be single than married to you. I'm getting off this roller coaster. Oh, yeah, the church you pastor, I quit. I'm not going back. Your leadership isn't worth following. Boy, when you're just getting to work on your sermon, that would be something to hear, wouldn't it? So this guy said, I was unhappy, frustrated, angry, bitter, and depressed. There you go. There's some emotional immaturity that he recognized. From the outside, he looks great. He was doing all the right things, church meetings, leading churches, speaking at conferences. But he realized that he had mainly had knowledge and had not translated into emotional maturity as a Christian. Now, we think about a Christian as being a nice person. That is nice until someone or something doesn't go their way. (laughs) And then sometimes you have to watch out. When I was a kid growing up, uh, somewhere south of here, in our church, a a good Christian, you could always tell on Sunday mornings because they carried this huge Bible. I mean a big sucker. And they they would go around and say religious phrases, and you could never get a straight answer. You say, how are you doing this? They say, praise God, brother, I'm doing fine. Of course, they just had an argument with their wife on the way to church, but they didn't mention that, and they could turn around, and they could uh, put a guilt trip on you in a Philistine second, and they could gossip about you or be judgmental. So there was something lacking in this Christian life of people who were considered nice Christians. Now, if you were a nice Christian like that, the big Bible and all that praise God thing on the street, it wouldn't fly very well here in the Roaring Fork Valley. There's an authenticity element that I value here. And I believe that under Daniel's leadership, we have a pretty good reputation in the valley among our people. So you must be living out some of this. We're just going to do a little refresher, a little fine-tuning today. Now, uh, emotionally healthy spirituality certainly starts with where we all start as Christians, and that is by trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the grave, and that his Holy Spirit lives within us. we got to start there. Everybody starts there. It's not just head knowledge, though. 
we can't just fill our head with knowledge. Um, in the last couple of hundred years since the printing press, we're more of a linear learner. We think when we've read it, we've got it. We've got the content, but unfortunately not the intent of the content sometimes. What is emotional maturity? Well, I looked up all these, American Psychological Association, emotional maturity essentially means that a person is aware of their own feelings and how to express them appropriately, and they are aware of the feelings of others. In fact, it's described here defining emotional intelligence. That person is aware of emotions in him or herself and others and uses reason to identify, understand, and deal with emotions effectively. And so you've probably seen people who aren't aware of their emotions. They say, I'm not mad. Don't be sad. You're just too sensitive. I discovered that uh, men have three emotions, glad, sad, and mad, while women have 147. <laughs> now, that's sometimes difficult for us guys to figure out and be able to relate to the, our wives' emotions. So all this flows into relationships. Our emotions uh, will affect and taint or enrich our relationships. But it also, it also is mental health. Mental health is a hot topic now in the Valley and nationwide. Uh, the, the shootings over the last several weeks, the finger has been pointed at... Uh, poor mental health, at uh, being mentally unbalanced. There's people who take out their hostility and anger on others, but, but not even that extreme, just, you know, being depressed, being feeling down, feeling not good about myself, having the blahs. Uh, mental health is something we do need to give our attention to, uh, not just working out physically, but knowing, as a Christian, once we enrich our emotional health, we're going to find ourselves living in those areas that they call healthy mental health. Now, what does an emotionally mature Christian look like? Loves God, loves others, and loves themselves. I mean, we say that all the time, right? Loves God and loves others. Well, here's a litmus test to see whether or not we're emotionally mature. <clears throat> what do you do when somebody criticizes you? Whoa, wait a sec. Where did that come from? Um, this gives us a chance to observe somewhat the status of our emotional maturity. Because nobody likes to be criticized. Criticism, if we are self-centered, immature, insecure, can sometimes bring out the worst. We can get defensive. And we can get counter offensive and point out the other person's problems. But the Bible, in fact, Jesus' half-brother James, gives us one verse that capsulizes uh, the road, the path, the description of good spiritual emotional maturity. James 1, 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, we do all that stuff, right? Reverse order. We get mad first, we talk loud, we don't listen much. <laughs> but look at how it puts it. 
He says human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. So in other words, if you want God in the equation working on the situation, then it's very important that we make sure that we're listening to understand and we talk in a way that is understanding and that our anger is kept out of the equation so God can be part of the equation. So when you're listening, what do you listen for? If a person, let's say, is criticizing you, you're in a disagreement, something like that, you listen for what it is they're saying, content, and how they're feeling about it, emotion, content, and emotion. If you will do that and you reflect that back to that person, then that person can understand that you have heard what they say. Being understood is a gift. How many times have you tried to express yourself and the other person is so busy thinking about what they're going to say or rebutting what you've said, you don't feel understood? A person who doesn't feel understood gets louder and longer. But we can, as Christians, with emotional maturity, listen non-defensively. Listen compassionately. Listen to hear what the other person is saying and what it's about. And then we can reflect that back. It sounds like, it sounds like you're really upset about what happened the other day. And just like that, it's like there is a bridge, a, a connection, a feeling of I'm not alone in this anymore. And you don't have to agree. You're not agreeing. You are simply recognizing what the other person is saying, and you're identifying empathetically with them. My, I can't even call it low emotional maturity because there wasn't much there to measure. Uh, began to be exposed when we first came to Colorado and uh, started the church in Redstone. Uh, Lewis McBurney became my best friend, and uh, we hunted together. He's a psychiatrist. If you ever hunted elk with a psychiatrist, it's a completely different gig. Uh, we went on vacations together. We had breakfast every Thursday morning at the Redstone Inn. So uh, I, I, I did notice there was something odd about Lewis at first. One Thursday morning, we're having our breakfast, and this person comes in and uh, says, hey, we heard about your church and want to talk with you, and just sits down. Lewis and I are having breakfast. I feel intruded upon, and I also feel like this person wants something. So Lewis begins interacting with this guy. He begins asking about his family, where they moved from, what they're looking for, and, and uh, I just tune out because this is, I mean, what can this person offer? They're trying to get something. So I tune out. Well, afterwards, uh, the person left, and uh, Lewis looked over at me and said, uh, you know, when that person came in and sat down, you turned your body away. Your facial expression was sort of defensive, and when you spoke, your tone was pretty cold. Okay, I didn't hit him at the time. Uh, I was probably a little defensive. Well, of course, Lewis. I mean, I know exactly what this guy was up to. Well, Lewis did too. But Lewis was able to converse with him in a pleasant way, even though he did not give the guy what he wanted. And I thought, how can you be kind to people who are trying to get something from you? Because, unfortunately, my upbringing 
had tilted me in a different direction. I grew up in a wonderful family, mom, dad, younger brother. There was one part of our family that maybe wasn't quite so pretty, and that was when anybody crossed my mom. Mother had a way of uh, letting you know exactly what you had done wrong and how you probably do that the rest of your life and that your value was not very high. And then after ripping you like that, she gave the cold shoulder until the offender was willing to grovel and apologize. There were some tough days around the house. I took it, didn't care for it, but guess what? I thought, hmm, that seemed to work for mom. I think I'll, I didn't, this is not a conscious thought, but it appeared to be, I think I will adopt that when people don't do what I want or I feel like that they're criticizing me or taking advantage of me. So I began to adopt that, being able to point out people's problems and faults, being overbearing, um, you know, being intense, uh, shutting people out. And um, as you might guess, that didn't work really well when I married Rebecca because she grew up in an abnormal home where her parents didn't act that way. <laughs> to her credit, she was very patient and uh, very helpful in those early years, but it also carried over into ministry because pastors are capable of laying on thick and heavy guilt trips. Pastors are capable of having righteous indignation when people don't act according to the way they are supposed to. So here I am. I'm in Colorado and uh, first pastorate. Now, the church at Redstone grew, a great church, solid, but I have to admit, because of the pastor, there was some collateral damage and some casualties along the way. And some people here this morning earlier and now may have gotten and caught some of that from the early days, and I'm sorry, they had to go through that. Gradually, because of Lewis's influence, be able to see a godly, gracious man in action, uh, he faced difficult circumstances. They had pastors and missionaries from all over the world come to Marble Retreat for two weeks of counseling. Then Lewis and I would spend time in the community. I saw him face adverse circumstances, never saw him less than gracious. And I'm, how does this guy do it? But I began to invest and, and to look and wonder, thinking it's possible. I remember the first time that I expressed that kind of graciousness. We were having a Halloween party uh, for our church, which meant all of our families were going to bring a booth and candy and games for the kids to do and uh, earn their uh, candy, and it's going to be great, and so it's the day of, and uh, we're getting ready for it, and I was downstairs in my office at the house. I, I remember the phone rang. I picked up the handset. You know what a handset is, right? The cord, okay. And this lady said, uh, hey, we're not going to be able to make it tonight with our booth and candy and games and stuff. We're going to be doing whatever. But something happened. Something took over. And I found myself saying, well, you know what? It's no problem. You guys just go and have fun. We'll see you next time. And I'm, I'm looking into this window by my desk. It, it is me. I am holding the handset. I spoke those words. And I thought, wow, that felt so good. That felt so good. 
Now, it wasn't a smooth ride. It wasn't just a steady progress. But over a period of time, a new path had opened up for me. And I realized that there was this aspect of spiritual uh, growth and maturity that I had, not only had I neglected, I didn't even recognize it. I was blind to it until I began to see it expressed by a more mature Christian. But once I began to see that, I was intrigued. And I began to implement that, to try to love people graciously and not to feel or express anger or guilt or disappointment or disgust with people in difficult circumstances. But that's hard for a pastor because pastors lead an organization and everybody's got an idea about how it should run better or what the music should be or what that or this or the other. And so you get all kinds of opportunities all week long to respond to that kind of thing. But I began to live out a description of the Christian life. You see, after Jesus died and rose again, there began to be writers of what we call the New Testament, Paul, Peter, John, James, and they began to describe the implications of this life that Jesus had lived and died for and rose again. And so all through the New Testament letters, you will see this. In fact, it's like in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's right there. It had been there when I was in seminary. I just never really got it. I probably preached it, probably taught it, but did not embody it until later on. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see, I could now listen to people who were critical. And in the security of my faith in Jesus, his love for me, love God, let God love you, love others as you love yourself. As I was loved by God with that security, I could listen to criticism. And begin to find treasure there. I, I could listen and, and, and reflect back. It sounds like you're really upset because we had the offering box on the left side today instead of the right. Uh, whatever it was. And I could listen and understand to that person's world. That was really upsetting. It didn't upset me, but it, it did them. I could listen with empathy and care. And build a relationship of trust. Diffusing that situation. And sometimes I could say, you know, I think you're right. I was wrong about that. If you know the people sitting next to you, turn to one of them and say, you know, I think you're right. I was wrong about that. Just try it. Just try it. We have paramedics standing by. <laughs> Ron, that means you too. <laughs> When we exemplify this emotional, spiritual maturity, we are simply reflecting the emotional. You know, when we talk about Jesus, he's perfect and all that, but he, he, he demonstrated uh, incredible human emotional maturity so that we have a path, we have an example to follow. In fact, one time in John 13, 34, this is the night before he would be arrested and crucified and die with his disciples in the upper room. 
He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, this is going way beyond love your neighbors yourself, right? Because Jesus gave his life for us. This is self-sacrificial love. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, you've got to know he said this in that upper room after he and his disciples had gathered after being out on the dusty roads, sitting around, and there was no servant there to wash their feet. But the water basin and towel was there. Yikes. None of those guys would dare get up because to get up and wash their feet, it would be acknowledging I am the lowest of this group. But Jesus got up, put the towel around his waist, and washed their dirty feet. And he said, now that you know this, as you do it, follow my example. Then he said, love as I have loved you. Love by washing each other's feet. Now, I have discovered that when you listen to someone well enough, that you hear and understand and reflect and let them know that you feel with them what they're describing to you and they feel understood, you are washing their feet without taking their shoes off. Because being understood is one of the most precious gifts that one human can give to another. And this, um, throughout the whole rest of the New Testament, the writers would describe these traits. We're going to look at Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you believe that Jesus died for your sins, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And part of the fruit of the Spirit that's available for you at any time, love and joy and peace. Is the world you live in all that loving or joyful or peaceable? We live in tumultuous times. This has to come from above. But do you realize those are feelings? Loving is a, is a choice, act of the will, but there's a feeling of love. Love, joy, feeling happy, being at peace, those are feelings of emotional maturity. And then, like I said a moment ago in Colossians 3.12, it's worth looking at again. As God's chosen people, holy in love, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. You ever had to bear with someone? Put up with behavior that you don't approve of or don't like or that's irritating? Forgiving each other as the Lord forgave you? Over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together. Can you hear what this? All these virtues, just bind them together with love, sacrificial love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, that kind of love is described. Love is patient, and love is kind. It doesn't envy. You see, envy comes when somebody's got something that I don't have, and I want it, and I get upset about it. That's a feeling. It's not boast or it's not proud. It doesn't dishonor other people, and it's not self-seeking. I can listen to people to understand, even when they're criticizing me, if I'm not just seeking my own agenda. It's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. The other person, are you kidding me? How many times have you flashed back on that time when that person said that to you? Wipe it clean and forgive. Love 
Go ahead with the next part. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, always perseveres. And this love never fails. And you might say, well, I've heard that at weddings. Uh, I thought that was for marriage. No, this was written to these people in Corinth who had been Christians less than a generation. This was so counterintuitive. Patient, are you kidding me? Love is patient and love is kind. These passages I've read to you that were written to the churches and read, passed along to the churches, begin to be integrated into the lives of those who call themselves Jesus followers or Christians. And there were only a few hundred at first, but as it spread, and there became thousands of people who were living a lifestyle of loving God and loving people self-sacrificially, like we've said, emotional maturity, until it finally became millions of people, so many millions that Jesus became the most influential person in the Roman Empire. Who would have thought? Usually, when someone was crucified, they were forgotten and tossed into the dump. But Jesus put in a tomb, resurrected, and the directive instructions of his life come to us today. And we have a call to give attention to emotional maturity. You see, what you just heard from me is a testimony of how Jesus has changed me. Paul wrote many times about what he had been and what Jesus had made him to become. It's hard for us to distinguish because I was blind to my emotional immaturity. But if you'll think about it, ask somebody you live with about your emotional maturity, you'll get a better read on it. Last Sunday, Rebecca and I celebrated 56 years of marriage. A wonderful woman. She's tough to live with, but I've, oh my, I said, I said that first, I didn't realize she would be here. Back in 2016, uh, we were going to have a uh, family reunion, all the kids, all the grandkids, going to get together. And so in February of that year, I wrote this letter. I know this is of God because this thing has been hidden on my computer, and of, I have no idea now how this popped up. But when I saw it, it was like, yeah. Because many of you have known me over the years, and you knew what I was like. Hopefully, you've seen a difference. It's not perfect, but there's a difference. Here's what I wrote to our kidlets. Uh, February, as your mom and dad, as we celebrate 50th anniversary, we want to make it a year-long celebration of grace and affirmation. Now, this is the old dad writing the kids. We resolve that between now and February and June 12th, we will not correct, criticize, or give disapproving looks at each other. Instead, we will speak words of affirmation, compliments, and appreciation. Can some of you who are serious about that take that resolve between now and noon? <laughs> We're inviting you to join us. I write as a dad, instructing, unfortunately, irritability, anger, and impatience were present in the early years of our marriage, most prominently on my part. 
I think it was a dozen years or so ago at Rob and Teresa's renewal of vows at their ceremony I led, I sensed God telling me to resolve not to express anger at Rebecca anymore. This is probably early 2000s. And I'm, who? Who said that? Don't express your anger toward Rebecca anymore. It had diminished, but it was still there. Uh, over the years, I had learned how much my anger had hurt Rebecca in our relationship. Parenthesis, you kids probably can remember seeing or experiencing my anger, and I'm truly sorry for inappropriate expressions of my anger directed at you. Fathers, there's something you can say to your kids. I didn't want to be that way anymore. At first, after I resolved not to be angry with Rebecca, it was a matter of being angry but not expressing it. But then I began to notice it began to help me realize those times, those points at which that I was feeling irritated. So I was able to recalibrate, and soon I did not feel that anger. Uh, here's this incredible woman who is my wife, and I've wasted time, energy, and hurt her needlessly by speaking and acting angry toward her. I begin to see her through different eyes. She is beautiful, capable, smart, caring, and I begin to express my admiration, my appreciation for her, as she had deserved all along. I purpose to look at her with delight. I wasn't even aware of that before. But I determined that when I saw her, when she saw my face, that she would know that I delighted in her. Now, I haven't been perfect. I'm writing this letter to my kids. I can say there's a huge difference in how I relate with this wonderful woman. I never want her to leave the house. Back before COVID, she would leave the house to go to her office. I never wanted to, her to leave the house without hearing how loved she was and how beautiful and capable she is. I didn't want her to leave the house without knowing that from her husband. So we're inviting you to join us in this resolve, grace, and affirmation. Notice when you get irritated, impatient, or angry with your mate. Now, I'm talking to my kids. Begin by putting grace into play. Accept and overlook what previously would have ticked you off and had you correcting or criticizing your mate or at least looking at them with disapproval. I know many of you guys right now, you're saying, yep, I'm going to begin to change my way of operation. Right, guys? You can nod. You get credit for that at least. All right. You realize it's not worth it. You married an incredible person who deserves your appreciation and respect as you enjoy this wonderful adventure of life together. Be conscious of expressing your love more, your appreciation for specific things. Nurture your mate with looks of admiration and delight. Let your mate bask in the look of delight in your eyes. It's my testimony about changes that Jesus has made in part of my life. Hopefully your testimony is being built, perhaps in other areas, but it may be that God wants you to look at this area in your Christian life. I couldn't have done this on my own. I would still be Angry and miserable, probably, because I know people go into assisted living still as angry and miserable as they ever were in their life. Thank God for Lewis, for a person who demonstrated this way of life. And you could be that kind of person for someone 
How? 2 Peter 1.3. This is how. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Let these words soak in. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises. Do you realize one of God's promises to you is that you be a new creation, new and different and Christ-like, so through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add your faith goodness to goodness, knowledge to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, work your way up to sacrificial love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive, in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that the Holy Spirit in you today, that you've been able to listen without defenses, that you've been able to let the Holy Spirit show you your life in the way that you are in your emotional maturity or immaturity, and stirred your heart that He will equip you to become a person of love and grace and affirmation, certainly to those closest to you, but then into the realms of your work and the world beyond. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.